The Christmas Apostle, a retreat guide on St. John the Evangelist. Introduction. Two days after Christmas, on December 27th, the Church celebrates the feast day of St. John the Evangelist, Jesus' youngest apostle, and the author of the fourth gospel, which is why tradition calls him the Evangelist, three New Testament letters, and the book of Revelation. Why in the world do we do such a thing? Isn't Christ's birth itself a big enough celebration to last us for the whole Christmas octave? Is this liturgical pile-on some kind of historical fluke? Not at all. St. John the Evangelist, more than any other of the eleven apostles, was wonderfully fascinated by the amazing, marvelous event of God becoming man and living among us. His writings are filled to the brim with this fascination, which is one reason why they play such a central role in the liturgy throughout the Christmas season. St. John is so fascinated with the Incarnation, in fact, that there are very good reasons to simply call him the Apostle whose favorite holiday was Christmas. And those reasons are what this Advent Retreat Guide, A Christmas Apostle, will explore. In the first meditation, we will dig into the core of St. John's Christmas message. In the second meditation, we will meditate on St. John's own life experience when it comes to living out that message. And in the conference, we will reflect on some common obstacles to living Advent well and how to overcome them. Let's begin in the quiet of our hearts by turning our attention to the Lord, who never stops paying attention to us. Let's ask Him for all the graces we need to fulfill our mission in life, and most especially, for the grace to share a little bit more deeply in the joy and fascination with Jesus, which was lived so wonderfully by St. John the Evangelist, the Christmas Apostle. First Meditation, The Apostolic Eagle Introduction Christian art often portrays St. John the Evangelist with an eagle. Usually, historians explain this choice by pointing out what is unique about St. John's Gospel, namely, the lofty theological content evidenced by his introduction and by Christ's lengthy discourses and conversations with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. These characteristics make the fourth Gospel soar like an eagle into the higher strata of the atmosphere and they bring the reader closer, so the tradition goes, to the pure light of the sun, which only eagles can stare into directly without being blinded. And yet, that is only part of the story. Eagles fly and live among the heights, true enough, but they are strong and aggressive when they swoop down to the earth in order to hunt or explore. They are majestic not only for navigating the upper limits, but also for their commanding presence here below. This powerful combination, embodied literally by the eagle, is also an appropriate symbol of the life and message of St. John the Evangelist. During the Mass for Christmas Day, the whole church proclaims the very beginning of John's Gospel, which brings both of these dimensions into focus right away. The Gospel reading for Christmas Day boldly proclaims through the words of St. John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things came to be. Not one thing had its being but through Him. 
Here the eagle is soaring into the stratosphere, close to the blinding light of the sun. Here St. John is lifting our gaze towards the inner life of God himself. The word, the logos in the Greek text, is the second person of the Blessed Trinity, who is one with the other persons in the singular divine nature, the word was God, but who is someone distinct and unique in his own individual personhood, the word was with God. And in these same short verses, St. John also lifts our gaze out of the limits of time and space in order to give us a glimpse of eternity. The word, our Lord, was with God in the beginning, St. John tells us, and all other things that exist came into existence only after that beginning, so to speak, only through the agency of this word, which is divine, which is eternal. These are dizzying heights indeed for our limited human reason, and yet, somehow, these words of St. John strike a chord deep within us. They resonate in our hearts and inspire us. We know that they truly do belong to us. They speak to us, even though we cannot fully fathom their meaning. But then the eagle changes direction and plummets wildly down from those theological heights towards the rocks and soil and streams we are all so familiar with here on earth. The Gospel reading for Christmas Day continues. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. That is the core of St. John's message, and none of the other Gospel writers put it so clearly and passionately. In Jesus Christ, the Word of God, God himself, omnipotent and eternal, plunges down from the divine realm and crashes into our darkened, fallen world in order to live and walk and work by our sides. And in doing so, he changes everything. The everlasting glory of God becomes visible and touchable, and those who welcome that glory are filled with it and transformed and given a new life, a new hope, a new meaning. The Word became flesh, became one of us, and dwelt among us, dwelt with us in order to make it possible for God's divine light to heal and instruct us instead of blinding us by its supernatural brightness. And isn't that what Advent and Christmas are all about? Isn't our annual preparation for and celebration of Christ's birth an opportunity that the Church gives us to contemplate once again this incredibly amazing reality of God being born of a virgin and laid in a manger, a little baby boy, quietly but definitively, bringing eternity and salvation and everlasting life into the world just because he loves us. Through the centuries, St. John the Evangelist has also been called St. John the Divine because his writings capture so eloquently that love of God that changed and continues to change everything. In his first New Testament letter, St. John summarizes the essence and the consequence of the stupendous event that still gives the Christmas season its special charm and power, even in our society today, which has in so many ways abandoned its Christian roots. These verses appear in the daily Mass readings during the Christmas season, after the Feast of Epiphany. It's as if the Church wants to make sure that we don't forget the meaning of all the wonderful and joyful celebrations we have enjoyed throughout Christmas. So she finishes the season with these words from the Christmas Apostle. Beloved, 
let us love one another, because love is of God. Everyone who loves is begotten by God and knows God. Whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. In this way, the love of God was revealed to us. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might have life through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as expiation for our sins. For the Christmas apostle, Christianity is all about Christmas. For St. John the Evangelist, Christianity can't be reduced to a list of rules to follow or a dictionary of doctrines to figure out. The rules and the doctrines are merely expressions and consequences of something much greater, of the transforming and life-giving love of God that somehow found a way on that cold night in the hills outside the little town of Bethlehem to be born into this world. That same life-giving, transforming love of God that wants to find a way deeper into our own hearts during this Advent season. In the next meditation, we will reflect on how St. John lived out this message in his own life. But for now, let's take some time to prayerfully consider, in the quiet of our souls, the incarnation of the Word of God, which planted the seed of eternity in the soil of this earth on the very first Christmas night. The following questions and quotations may help your meditation. Questions for personal reflection or group discussion. When I think about the real meaning of Christmas, that God loved us so much that he came to earth so that he could lead us back to heaven, how does it make me feel? How should it make me feel? What can I do during Advent to bring my feelings and my faith into greater harmony? God became visible in Jesus on Christmas night. How has God made himself visible and present to me throughout my life? What can I do to make space for him to keep coming? What did Mary and Joseph do to make space for the Lord to be born into the world? And what can I learn from their example? Three quotations to help your meditation. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we had heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, 
so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through Him, and without Him nothing came to be. What came to be through Him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Second Meditation, The Christmas Journey of St. John the Apostle. Introduction. Even compared to the other 11 apostles, St. John had a special relationship with Jesus one of the very first to meet the Lord. Along with his brother, St. James, and St. Peter, John was one of the three apostles who accompanied Jesus in critical moments, like his transfiguration, his agony in Gethsemane, and his raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. During the Last Supper, he was at Jesus' side, so close, in fact, that he leaned his own head against the Lord's chest and asked about the identity of his betrayer without anyone else being able to hear. He was also the first apostle to arrive at the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. Yet, St. John not only received special attention and experiences from Jesus, he also gave to Jesus in a special way. Of all the apostles, only John accompanied Jesus during his passion all the way to the end. He stayed as close as he could during the trial and imprisonment, and he joined Mary and the other women at the foot of the cross during the crucifixion. His presence there was a comfort both to Jesus and to the Blessed Virgin. It also gave him a unique experiential perspective on the battle between good and evil that surrounded the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. This battle is a constant theme in his writings. He frequently comments on Christ's life in terms of light and darkness, in terms of God's generous love and mankind's refusal to convert and accept that love. In the Gospel passage for Christmas Day, for example, he writes, Jesus was in the world, and the world came to be through him, but the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. And in his most well-known passage from chapter 3 of this gospel, he follows his announcement of God's immense love for the world with a sobering summary of how the world responded to that love. And this is the verdict, that the light came into the world but people preferred darkness to light because their works were evil. John's keen awareness of this tension between God's goodness and human depravity is appropriate for his role as the Christmas apostle. In the first centuries of the church, the celebration of Jesus' birth was fixed in the liturgical calendar for the darkest time of the year in the northern hemisphere, the middle of winter. Just when the darkness seems about to vanquish the light in the natural ebb and flow of the seasons, 
Jesus, the true light of the world, makes his appearance. St. John writes more frequently and explicitly than the other evangelists about this ongoing battle between good and evil, but he never lets it discourage him. He knows that just as the love of Jesus conquered the crucifixion, so too will that same love, given to us through the gift of God's grace, lead each one of us to victory, if only we have the courage to live it. For St. John, loving as Christ loved is every Christian's secret weapon in the battle between good and evil. This, too, is an essential feature in the life and teaching of the Christmas Apostle. According to some of our earliest sources, St. John outlived all the other apostles and reached a venerable age, maybe even close to a hundred years old before he passed away. His last years were spent with the Christians in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, and that's where he wrote his gospel. At the end of his life, when he had to be carried to the Christian assemblies because of his frailty, he refused to give long discourses to his eager listeners. Instead, he would just repeat the same message over and over again. My dear children, love one another. Some members of the congregation got fed up with having to listen to this simplistic sermon time after time, and they asked the aged evangelist why he wearied them by always repeating the same words. The Christmas apostle humbly replied, Because it is the precept of the Lord, and if you comply with it, you do enough. To love with Christ's own love, this is the mission of every Christian. This is how we follow the Lord and build up his kingdom. John not only preached and wrote this message, but he also lived it out himself. During the second general persecution of Christianity under the Roman Empire, around the year 95, St. John was arrested and sent to Rome for trial. There he was convicted of treason for refusing to worship the Roman gods. He was sentenced to death by immersion in boiling oil, but he miraculously survived the torture unscathed. The authorities then decided to send him into exile on the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. There he received his visions and wrote the book of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. When the persecuting emperor passed away soon afterwards, John returned to Ephesus and took the place of the bishop there, who had been martyred during the persecution. From that period of his life, during which he composed his gospel, comes one of the most famous anecdotes that we have about him, one that amply illustrates the power of Christ-like love. During one of his pastoral visits to a new church in the vicinity, he met a young man who seemed especially blessed by the Lord and perhaps destined for a leadership role in the community. Setting him aside, he commended him to the special instruction and care of the local bishop. Then he returned to Ephesus. The bishop taught and guided him for a while, but eventually relaxed his attentions. At that point, a local gang of troublemakers set out to recruit the young man. So well did they succeed that St. John's protege not only gave up his faith, but he even became the leader of a band of notorious outlaws that terrorized the district. Time passed, and St. John once again made his round of the local churches. Coming to this one, he asked the bishop about the young man he had entrusted to his care. When the bishop informed him of what had happened, St. John, in spite of his frailty and old age, gathered a horse and a guide and set out into the hills in search of the lost sheep. He was soon apprehended by some of the outlaws. He put up no resistance, but instead asked them to take him to their captain, which they did. But when the disciple-turned-bandit recognized who was approaching him, 
He fled away, filled with shame and confusion. The old man actually ran after him, crying out in a loud voice, Child, why do you thus fly from me, your father, unarmed and an old man? My son, have compassion on me. There is room for repentance. Your salvation is not irrecoverable. I will answer for you to Jesus Christ. I am ready most willingly to lay down my life for you, as Jesus Christ laid down his for all men. I will pledge my soul for yours. Stay, believe me, I am sent by Christ. The young man fell at the apostles' feet, weeping and begging for forgiveness. According to our sources, St. John knelt down and embraced him, grabbing hold of the bandit's right hand, which had committed so much sinful violence, and kissed it. Together they returned to the town, and the brigand was reconciled with the Lord and went back to fruitful service in the church. There is a reason this story was so carefully preserved and passed on by the early Christians. It shows that Christmas can happen at any time and in any place, not just on December 25th. For what was St. John doing when he went in pursuit of that young man, if not exactly the same thing that Jesus was doing when he came to earth, born of the Blessed Virgin Mary? Jesus loved us too much to let us wallow in darkness and sin. He came to get us, to rescue us, to embrace and redeem us, and lead us back to our true and lasting home in the Father's house. The more fully we savor and rejoice in the love of God that moved him to pursue us, even into the wild hills of our banditry and confusion, the more our own hearts will begin to beat with that same courageous love. And that's when, like St. John, we will become Christmas apostles, bearers of Christ's light and hope wherever we go, whether it's Christmas time or not. Advent is God's invitation for us to take some extra time to savor and rejoice in his love for us. Let's do that right now. In the conference, we will reflect a bit more on how to live Advent well. But for now, take some time to prayerfully reflect on the battle of good and evil that's always unfolding in our world and in our lives and on the secret weapon of Christ-like love that never ceases to win the victory. The following questions and quotations may help your meditation. Questions for personal reflection or group discussion. Throughout my life, how has God pursued me when I was going astray? Remember, savor, and thank the Lord for those interventions. Have I ever lovingly pursued someone who was in spiritual danger? What happened? How willing would I be to do this now if God asked it of me? What can I do this Advent to become a true Christmas apostle myself? Three quotations to help your meditation. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, and chapter 8, verse 12. And this is the verdict, that the light came into the world, but people preferred darkness to light, because their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come toward the light, so that his works might not be exposed. But whoever lives the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 14. As the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. One John, chapter two, verses seven through 11. Beloved, I am writing no new commandment to you, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And yet I do not write a new commandment to you, which holds true in him and among you. For the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light, yet hates his brother, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother remains in the light, and there is nothing in him to cause a fall. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness. He walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Conference Overcoming Advent's Obstacles Introduction If you are watching this retreat guide, or listening to it, or reading it, at least one thing is for sure. You want to live this Advent well. That is a good desire. In fact, it is a holy desire, a supernatural desire. It can only come from a living faith, from an interior inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit has stirred up that desire in your heart, you can rest assured that he wants to fulfill it. The question I would like to address in this conference is simply, how can we help that happen? What can we do to make sure that this year we don't reach the end of the liturgical season regretful and discouraged? Without a doubt, God has graces he wants to send us during this holy season, graces that will help us continue to grow in wisdom, in joy, in courage in all the spiritual characteristics that make up true Christian holiness. That's what the liturgical seasons are all about, God pouring out new graces to help us grow. Here are a few reflections that, I hope, will help each of us receive those graces worthily and fruitfully. In other words, they will help us live Advent well by navigating our way around the two major obstacles that tend to distract us during this season, 
busyness and sadness. The first difficulty is busyness. This season involves a huge amount of added activity. Gift shopping, Christmas cards, Christmas concerts, Christmas cooking, holiday parties, school vacations, family get-togethers, and decorating the tree, the house, and the yard. In past ages, at least in many parts of the Christian world, as this kind of liturgical season activity increased, the normal secular activity, work and economic life, tended to diminish. In the Northern Hemisphere, this was partly due to the weather. The economy of Christian Europe was overwhelmingly agricultural until the 19th century, and during the winter, the amount of field work decreased dramatically. But those times are gone. Now we tend to simply add on all our holiday activity without putting any of our secular activity on hold, unless you are a student, that is. This increase in activity and work is draining. It causes stress, even though we believe in its value. Anticipating this stress can trigger anxiety and distract us from the deeper truths that are supposed to be nourishing our souls during Advent. What can we do about this difficulty? At least two things. First, be realistic. Some people have a tendency to bite off more than they can chew. They don't admit their limitations. Instead of running up your credit card debt to buy an abundance of Christmas gifts, for example, buy fewer gifts thinking carefully about each one in order to make them meaningful. Instead of going to every Christmas party you're invited to, choose one or two that will be exceptionally meaningful, and then take the people who invited you to the other ones out for a cup of coffee and some enjoyable one-on-one -on -one conversation. Don't rush the process of putting up decorations. Make it a family affair, decorating different parts of the house together as a family, gradually, throughout all four weeks of Advent. Maybe skip the Christmas cards this year. And instead, gradually send out personalized thank you cards after the new year to everyone who sent you a Christmas card. The key here is to recognize that all the activity has a purpose, to help you and those around you keep your heart focused on the three comings of Christ which converge on Christmas Day and what they mean for your relationship with God. If the amount of activity you undertake distracts you from that, you are undertaking too much. Whenever we say no to one thing, if our intention is pure, we are saying yes to something else. Second, spend more time in personal prayer. This is counterintuitive. When someone is busier than usual, shouldn't they cut down on their God time rather than increase it? No. Periods of intense activity can put us off our guard, making us vulnerable to egoism and temptations. We become like Martha, busy with many things, and we forget that only one thing is necessary, hearing and heeding the Word of God. If giving 15 or 20 or 30 minutes solely to God each day during Advent will significantly disrupt your schedule, your schedule is, most likely, in need of reform. We will all be so busy during these holy days that it may take a seemingly heroic effort to squeeze in any time alone with God. But unless we make it a priority to have a daily God time, how will we be able to hear what God wants to say to us, to see what he wants to show us? The hustle and bustle surrounding this time of year can either exhaust or exhilarate us. If we try to live it with just our own strength, we will be exhausted. If we stay close to God, renewing our confidence in his providence by spending time with him each day, we will be exhilarated. Those are two tips about managing the first difficulty that can sabotage our advent, 
excessive busyness. But Advent busyness isn't the only difficulty we face during this liturgical season. Advent sadness is another one. In the United States, more suicides happen during the Advent and Christmas seasons than any other time of the year. Deaths from drunk drivers increase. Family violence rears its ugly head. Why? The season is primarily about joy, the joy of God's love and presence in our lives and in the world. But for those who are estranged from God and stuck in the cul-de-sac of secularism and egoism, being surrounded by symbols of joy can be disheartening instead of inspiring. It can highlight the existential angst that is eating away at their soul. It can aggravate their festering wounds of unrepented sin and tighten the suffocating grip of their regrets. Those of us who have faith in Christ and a friendship with Him are less vulnerable to extreme depression in the face of the season of joy, but we are not invulnerable. We all still have emotional and spiritual baggage. Much of that baggage is connected with our family relationships, our past experiences of growing up. And during the holiday season, we spend more time with extended family. Under the surface, reconnecting with family members who rub us the wrong way, bother us or have wounded us in the past, or whom we have wounded, can create irritating or painful interior turbulence. Even thinking about reconnecting with them can do that. This is one of the sources of Advent sadness. There is no quick fix for Advent sadness. The long-term solution is nothing other than growth in humility and closeness to Jesus Christ. Only He can heal wounds caused by sin, our sins or the sins of others. Only He can teach us to forgive and to accept His forgiveness. Only His light can shine in every darkness. Once again, therefore, we see the crucial importance of not cutting corners during these days on our daily God time, those precious minutes where we contemplate His goodness, power, wisdom, and mercy are the best defense against these subtle attacks of the enemy of Advent. Our past Advent retreat guides can help you do that. But we can also go on the offense. Advent is about the coming of Christ. There is no better time of the year for us to strive to embody this truth in our words, actions, and behavior. We can decide to live Advent as ambassadors of reconciliation, as messengers of Christ and His gentle goodness to everyone in our lives. By going on the offense, we can create a spiritual momentum that will enable us not only to withstand spiritual attacks, but to roll back the forces of egoism and discouragement that cloud the hearts of those around us. There is a beautiful, true story about one woman who rediscovered this active Christian spirit not during the four weeks of Advent, but two days after Christmas. She was the owner of a newsstand and novelty shop decades ago in a small town in the Midwest. One year, shortly before Christmas, she fell sick and spent the whole holiday confined to bed. She felt rather gloomy and even somewhat bitter about missing Midnight Mass and the other Christmas celebrations. But when she reopened her store two days after Christmas, she had an idea. Why not make today my lost Christmas? She carried out her plan by putting the spirit of Christmas into the whole day. She smiled more frequently and more warmly than usual. She tried to be extra accommodating and friendly with her clients. She even gave spontaneous discounts to customers who were low on cash. After closing the store for the day, she took some small presents to several homebound neighbors, and she also visited some poor families to give candy to the children. By the time she came home, 
She was so full of joy in the spirit of Christmas that she had never felt happier in her life. She decided from then on to keep the spirit of Christmas as long as she possibly could. How different Advent would be for ourselves and for those around us if with the help of God's grace we were to spend these four weeks actively ushering in the spirit of Christmas instead of passively waiting for it to arrive while we scramble to check things off our to-do lists. Let's make a point of reaching out to others during these weeks, even if it means spending less time making Christmas cookies and sending Christmas cards, a visit to an ornery relative, to a prison, to a nursing home, to an orphanage, a call to someone you haven't spoken to in a long time, a word of kindness to someone who is struggling, a family rosary offered for broken families. These are ways to embody in our own actions the coming of Christ that we contemplate and celebrate during Advent and Christmas. If we all strive to spread the joy of Christmas, we ourselves will experience more of that joy. Just as during the candlelight service at Midnight Mass, we enjoy an increase of light ourselves when we use our candles to light the candles of those around us. And that, in the end, is really what Christmas is all about, welcoming and spreading the saving light of Christ. I hope these reflections on navigating around Advent busyness and Advent sadness will help all of us do that this Advent. To apply these suggestions to your own unique situation, take some time now to prayerfully consider the 10 questions in the Personal Questionnaire. Personal Questionnaire What has helped me live Advent well in the past? How will I weave those things into my living of Advent this year? What has hindered me from living Advent well in the past? How will I avoid being hindered by those things this year? How can I be more realistic this year when it comes to my calendar, schedule and commitments? How can I find more time or more regularity in my daily God time during this Advent? What will I use this Advent to help me pray during my daily God time? When will I go to confession this Advent? Which parish activities will I participate in this Advent? What can we do as a family to make this Advent truly meaningful?
Which family members should I reach out to in a special way during this Advent? What one thing can I do this Advent that will please God most? For further reading, recommended sources for spiritual reading and meditation during Advent. The Better Part, a Christ-centered resource for personal prayer by Father John Bartunek. In Conversation with God by Francis Caravaljal. Past Advent retreat guides available at rcspirituality.org. The Prince of Peace by Alban Goodyear. The Lord by Roman Guadini. To Know Christ Jesus by Frank Sheed. Treasury of Catholic Meditations, published by Sophia Institute Press. Winter Meditations by Father John Bartunek. If you like this retreat, please help support future retreat guides by making a donation at rcspirituality.org. Retreat guides are a service of Regnum Christi and the Legionaries of Christ. Regnumchristi.org, legionofchrist.org. Retreat guides are produced by Coronation, coronationmedia.com.